How many of you ever worshipped with us over at the other building? Yeah, um, worshipping at the other building, when, when guests came, there were no real big surprises uh, because pretty much everybody knew that this was built to be a funeral home. So when they walked into the other building, they went, yeah, it looks like a funeral home. It, it, there was no aha moment at the other building. It's a little bit different here. Uh, we often have guests or, or I have friends who come from out of town and, and are with us and kind of see what we're doing. And, and frequently people will say, um, wow, it looks so much different on the inside than the outside. Not what I was expecting. I've done a really nice job. Everything looks so great because obviously it's a, it's a big warehouse on the outside in the middle of three other warehouses that look very warehousey. And then you walk in and hopefully it doesn't look real warehousey inside. And so people have a different experience than they were expecting when they walk in. Sometimes we, people will see the unfinished part. And they'll have a similar reaction. Wow, it doesn't look this big from the outside. And, and so there is a difference between their expectation from the outside and what they see on the inside. This is true with a lot of life. You've had experiences like this. You were expecting something based on the way something or someone looked or based on the way something was described to you. And then you go to that event, you hang out with that person, and you realize they're not the same as, as the way they were described, for better or for worse. It's why we have phrases like, don't judge a book by its cover, right? or appearances can be deceiving. It's because we all know that something can look one way from the outside, or someone can look one way from the outside, be altogether different from that once you get to know them or have the experience. Um, you have all had uh, movies described to you, and then you had a different experience when you went to the movie, right? It, on the one hand, maybe you were told it's not that great, the acting's not that good, the story's not that, and then you went and you loved it. You thought it was great. Now, when expectations uh, are different from reality in a positive way, we love it. The movie was better than we thought. The restaurant was better than they told us. The ending to the book really was a great ending, and I heard it wasn't a great ending. The, um, the vacation spot that they told us about, they said it was kind of mediocre. We loved it. We're going to go back. When expectations are low and reality is high, that's a great feeling, right? You feel like, yeah, I, I, I don't know what they're talking about. It, when it works the opposite way, it's not as much fun. When people build something up and say, this is great, you're going to love this, and then you go to the movie and you think it's terrible, which is usually what happens to me. I, I try not to listen to what people think about movies because if everybody tells me it's a great movie, I'm going to hate it because I'm just going to get my expectations built up too much and it's never going to live up to those expectations. Same thing uh, with a book or a restaurant or an activity. You should go try this. When it gets really built up and it's it's not, it doesn't live up to that expectation, then it's all underwhelming, right? That's what, that's what we would say. It's just, it's all underwhelming. It didn't meet my expectations. Now, this can be true in churches, not just for physical appearances, not just a church looks different on the inside than the building looks on the outside. Strangely, it can be true from a spiritual perspective, a culture perspective, a relational perspective. 
you can hear, you can have people tell you, oh, this is a great church. Probably some of us have had this experience. Oh, this is a great church. You should go visit there. We've heard nothing but great things about it. And then you go, and it's a good experience. But then you're there for a couple of weeks and then a couple of months. And then about a year in, you go, like, there's weird things that go on here. Like, I don't know what's going on, but it's not exactly the way I thought it was going to be, and, and let me give the disclaimer that I always give at this point. There's no such thing as a perfect church. Right? Every church has problems. Uh, every church has uh, areas they're still trying to figure out, still trying to work out, still trying to make better. Uh, every church has limited resources, and so they can't put everything into all the different things that we might want them to be. Also, everybody has opinions, right? Just like noses, everybody has an opinion of what they want in a church, what they like in a church. So you have those two things at work. No perfect churches. We've all got opinions. But then sort of underneath that, it's possible for a church to look great on the outside, even have a good reputation in the community, but there just be something spiritually lacking on the inside. And if you understand that, then the church we're going to talk about today will make sense to you. It's Revelation chapter 3, last book of the Bible we've been in. This is the, first, this is the fifth church we've talked about. We have two more uh, to finish out this series it's a church in a place called Sardis. And this church apparently looked great from the outside. The mailer looked great. The website looked great. The staff pictures looked great. Everything looked great from the outside. But Jesus says that inside there's some problems. Revelation chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead, which is kind of harsh, right? I mean, that's, that's harsh in-your-face language to a church. You look great. You look like there's life. There's not. You're dead. Now, now Jesus presents himself as holding... The seven stars, which we've talked about, the seven messengers, maybe the seven pastors, maybe the seven angels of each church. But he also says that he's holding the seven spirits. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And, and some people think that a better translation is the sevenfold spirit. In other words, seven means completion, the complete, full work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm holding my hand. The full work of what the Holy Spirit could do in your lives. What the Holy Spirit has been given to you to do. The energy and excitement and passion and fire and transformation and miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm holding that. And the inference, in the way Jesus introduces himself to his church, the inference is this is the problem. The problem is you are a church that has a nice bulletin and a good website and you have people who smile when you walk in the door, but you are not experiencing the powerful, full work of the Holy Spirit in your church. And that's what Jesus wants for every church. He wants every church, including this church, including the church at Sardis. He wants every church to experience the powerful, transformational, energizing work of God's Spirit fully at work 
in the people of that church. And because he's at work in the people of that church, he's at work in the church as a whole. Now, how did this happen in Sardis? How, how did they get a reputation of being alive when they were really dead on the inside? Some of it mirrors the general comfort level of the city of Sardis. Some of it mirrors, parallels the fact that overall in this particular city, there was a huge level of just complacency, just contentment. If you were here two weeks ago, we talked about Thyatira. And I I said that that city was pretty much defenseless. It sat in this wide open valley. And so it was open to attack. And if you remember, nobody really cared if it got attacked. They just didn't want Pergamum to get attacked. And and so they were kind of sitting ducks. Sardis is just the opposite. The original city of Sardis was built on a, a mountain. It was 1,500 feet high, and it had cliffs on every side except for the road coming in. In addition to the cliffs, it had huge walls around the city. So whereas Thyatira was easily attacked, it was almost impossible for an army to attack Sardis. There was just no way to get to it. As long as you made sure nobody came up the road and knocked on the front door, you could defend that city well because uh, of how high it sat on the mountain, the cliffs, and the wall around. So it was a great place to live. You didn't have to worry about war. You didn't have to worry about somebody attacking you, another, another country attacking you, another army attacking you. In addition, it was extremely wealthy. There was a river close by that had gold and silver. And so over time, this translated into Sardis becoming fabulously wealthy. Everybody in the city, the general welfare, the socioeconomic status of the city was high. Everybody was wealthy, uh, specifically the rulers. In 6th century BC, uh, probably their most famous king was a guy named Croesus. And uh, King Croesus was the wealthiest person that anybody knew of in that region. If we wanted to compare the wealth of somebody, we would say, well, they're as rich as Bill Gates, right? Or they're as wealthy as Warren Buffett. If you lived in the 6th century in Sardis, you would say they're as wealthy as King Croesus because he was fabulously wealthy. Everyone in the city had excess. They had a comfort level that few other places had. They didn't have to worry about attacks. Now, the downside of living on a mountain was there really wasn't room to expand. There's only so much you could put on the mountain. So Sardis built a second city at the bottom of the mountain. But whenever there was a threat of attack, those people would just run up to the mountain, get inside the walls, and they were safe. If, If you lived in this environment, if you lived in an environment where there was really no threat of attack, where everyone was comfortably wealthy, it would be a comfortable place to live. And not only would it be a comfortable place to live, it would be a comfortable place to go to church because everyone was content. There were no problems. When you read the letter to Sardis, we don't read the same problems that we read in the other cities. Uh, Jesus doesn't comment on false teaching He doesn't comment on persecution. He doesn't comment on any of that. The church is not experiencing the pressure that the churches and some of the churches in the other cities were experiencing. 
There's no problem. Here's the thing. A lack of problems is sometimes a problem. In the spiritual life especially. In the church especially. A lack of when everything's easy. When everything's comfortable. When nobody's bothered by your presence or what you believe or what you teach. right? There's no sign that they're teaching something that's false. But what are they teaching? There's no sign of persecution, but maybe that's because they're not living wholly separate lives that are causing other people to take notice and maybe even take objection to. There's no problem, but that's a problem. Because you and I are called to live out the word and the teachings of God. And sometimes that means taking a stand. Sometimes that means struggling with the issues of our day. Sometimes that means praying and studying God's word and saying, God, please help us know how to apply your word to this situation. We're experiencing some conflict over this. Help us know. So some of us are reading through Genesis. Uh, we do a daily Bible reading, if you didn't know. Uh, it's posted on our Facebook page, so like the church Facebook page. And we read a chapter at a time, Monday through Friday, and I post a devotional thought uh, Monday through Friday on that chapter. And and we've been in Genesis for some time now. It's the longest book we've read together since we've been doing this. Also available in Alexa, by the way, $9.99. No, I'm just kidding. Um, It's available, the audio version is available on Alexa, written version is available on Facebook. We were reading through Genesis, and a couple days ago we came to the place where Jacob wrestles with God, finds out it's God. He wrestles all night with God. And at the end of the wrestling match, God reveals the name he's going to give to his people. He reveals the name that his nation is going to be called. And he says, my nation is going to be called Israel. And here was his explanation. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. I give you a name, I'm going to give my people a name that means to struggle with God and with others, but ultimately to overcome. God does not name his people comfort. I'm going to call all of you the people of easy living. God doesn't call us that. I'm going to call my people the people who are content and complacent. That's not what he calls his people. Thousands of years ago, God gave his people the name that means to struggle, to wrestle. If we're following closely to Jesus, to God, there will be times of tension and struggle. And that's the problem in Sardis. There are no problems. They're not standing out. They fit right in. They're comfortable. They're complacent. They, they come to worship on Sunday, and their worship's comfortable and complacent. And they drop their kids off for vacation Bible school, and it's comfortable. And put their kids in children's ministry, send their teenagers to camp, and bring their teenagers to Wednesday night, and go to community group. And they're just comfortable. Everything's easy. They're, they're comfortable. They're around all the people they like, and... Everything's just comfortable. This is Sardis. Now, the whole city was very much like this because of their wealth and what they felt was their military position. 
One day, King Croesus is visited by one of the wisest philosophers of the time. And this philosopher is trying to give him some advice. And his final advice to King Croesus is, call no man happy until he's dead. Now, you and I would have said it differently. Here's what he was saying. Don't get too comfortable because things can change quickly. Don't think that the comfortable position you're in right now as wealthy king in in a defendable location, that could change, King Croesus. You you better stop coasting in your leadership. You better stop coasting in your vision because all of this could change. Middle of the 6th century B.C., Croesus attacks Persian, the Persians, and he, he gets throttled. Like he just soundly gets defeated. But Croesus knows I can run back to the city and they, they can't hurt us. So he gets his army, they all run back up the hill, they lock the gates. The Persians circle the city for 14 days trying to figure out what their next move is going to be. One of the Persian soldiers who's watching the city and the wall, according to the story, sees a soldier from Sardis accidentally drop his helmet over the wall. And then he watches as the soldier climbs over the wall, down the wall, gets his helmet, climbs back up the wall and into the city. So the Persians knew, even though we can't see it from here, the Persians knew if we get up to the wall, we could climb up the wall and get in the city. And that night, that's exactly what they did. A group of them go up to the wall, they scale the wall, they go over the top of the wall, and you know what they found? Nothing. Nobody was guarding the city. No soldiers were guarding the city in the middle of the night when your enemy was surrounding yours. Nobody was watching because they were so comfortable. They were so complacent. They felt like everything's always worked out for us. Everything's always been fine. The strange thing is it happened again a couple hundred years later. Exact same thing. They weren't watching. They weren't guarding the city. By the time John writes the words of Jesus in Revelation chapter 3, Sardis is a shell of the city that it once was. They're living on the reputation of the past. They're living as if they're still as safe and as wealthy as they used to be. They're talking about the good old days. They're telling stories about what a great city we were. They're just not a great city anymore. They've been exposed. Their weakness is known to everyone. So Jesus says, you have a reputation of being alive. But you're dead, just like your city. You've been coasting. You've been complacent. You're dead. So he goes on to say in verse 2, Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. The phrase wake up literally means watch. Like, be watchful. Don't think you can just cruise through the rest of your spiritual life. Wake up. Watch. Be on guard. Just like your city was twice attacked because nobody was guarding. You have to guard your life. Wake up. 
Stop living in all of the comfort. Historically, you can prove what I'm about to say. The place of comfort and ease is a dangerous place for the church. It always has been throughout history. The place of comfort and ease. Where the church feels pressure is where the church tends to thrive. The true church. Those who have committed themselves to following after Jesus. That church tends to thrive. You know where the church tends to stall? Is where they're comfortable. Where they're complacent. Complacency is quicksand for the spiritual life. We get stuck. We think everything's just going to be like it is now. We think everything's just going to be fine. We go to sleep in our routine. We kind of worship, but we kind of sleep through it. We go to our community group, kind of sleepwalk through it. Complacent. Put our kids in ministry, children's ministry and student ministry. Complacent. We sleepwalk through our spiritual lives. And Jesus says to churches today, just what he said to this church, you have a reputation for being alive but you're dead. You're in this spiritual coma. Nobody else sees it but Jesus. Nobody sees it. Even people in the community didn't see it. You look fine. You have services. You do all the things that churches do. But Jesus saw into the heart of the church and said, you're in a spiritual coma. Wake up. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live out the rest of my life in a spiritual coma. I don't want to sleepwalk through the rest of my spiritual life. I don't want to get to a point where I just sort of shift into neutral. I was excited about the things of God at one time, but I don't know. I'm just going to cruise for a while. I'm just going to show up and go home, not invest a whole lot. I'll come, we'll see the songs on the screen, we'll do that whole thing, and then I'm going to go on about my life. We're a couple of years from empty nest. I know I don't look that old, but we're a couple of years from being empty nesters. Like I don't want to get to empty nest phase and go, all right, we, we got our kids out of here. None of them are in jail. We feel like we did everything we could do. We're going to take a little break from this whole spiritual thing. I don't want to sleepwalk through what God has for me. Because he reminds this church and he reminds us there's more to come. God's not finished with what he wants to do in you. Did you catch that? Jesus, come on. God's not finished. You haven't experienced everything God wants to do in your life. There's no time to shut it down. There's no time to shift into spiritual neutrality, to be spiritual comatose. God's not finished with you. Verse 3, Jesus says, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Remember, there was a time you were really excited about the things of God. Remember, there was a time there was a passion inside of you for God's word, for prayer, for your neighbors, for people who didn't know Jesus. You couldn't wait to worship with people. It wasn't just words on a screen to you. 
When you came in, you didn't care what the songs were. As long as they were about Jesus, you were in and you were worshiping. You didn't care who the band was. You didn't care who the singer was. You just wanted to worship Jesus. Jesus said, remember that time and get it back. Repent. Turn around from this comatose spiritual life that you've been living. Remember how in the movies when somebody's unconscious, they throw cold water on their face or put smelling salts under their nose or slap them a couple of times. Wake up, wake up. That's what Jesus is doing in this past. Wake up. I know that you don't think there's a problem because you look like all the other Christians in your part of the world. Like you look like every other place. Jesus says, you're dead to this church and maybe to a lot of other churches to wake. Up. He goes on. Verse 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus knows that even in sleepy churches, there are people who aren't asleep. Even in churches that are coasting, there's pockets of people whose heart is still ablaze for the things of God. And Jesus speaks to them and says, you got to keep doing it. you got to stay on fire because that needs to spread to the people that you worship with. That needs to spread to the people in your community group. That needs to spread to the people that you serve with. That That fire needs to catch on to all the other people. Don't give up if you're not the one sleeping. You be the example. You keep burning brightly for the things of God. And whereas some come, and take right? Christianity in a lot of places, maybe not this place, but in a lot of places, very consumer-driven. I, I come, they're supposed to plan a service, band's supposed to be good, they're supposed to pick songs that I like, children's ministry's supposed to do the things that I like, student ministry's supposed to do the things that I like, everybody's supposed to be the way I like it. A part of that consumer-driven mentality is what leads to this complacency. It's supposed to be about me. You're supposed to have everything ready for, more, for me rather than like, I'm coming to meet with God. I'm, I'm coming to worship Jesus who lived and died for me. And Jesus says to them, if that's you, if your heart's on fire, if you don't go to sleep, if you don't sleepwalk through your spiritual existence, Jesus said you're going to live forever. Your name's going to be in the book. And not only that, Jesus says, I'm going to acknowledge your name to my Father and to the angels. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how that's going to happen. I I don't know what the procedure is for that. I just want to be one of those names. I want to be one of those names. That Jesus, at some point in eternity, says to his Father, says to all the angels, this one, this one, this one never went to sleep. Like this, this one burned brightly to the end. They never checked out. They never reached a point in their life where they thought they'd done all the spiritual things they needed to do. This one. 
Because Jesus says if we don't wake up, he's going to be done with us. He's going to be done. If we don't wake up, like if we can just continue to sleep through our spiritual existence, it, it probably means we've never been changed by faith in Jesus. It probably means that we've never fully committed our lives to Jesus. Because Jesus says, I'm going to be done with those people, the people whose names are going to be in the book that I'm going to acknowledge to my Father are the people who couldn't just sleepwalk through their faith. Anybody run the, um, 10 days ago we had the, the 50th uh, Peachtree Road Race. Anybody run the, road, the Peachtree this year? Nobody in the service. We had a couple in the early service. Of course, the early service people, they get up early and <laughs> you, you guys just thinking about lunch, right? Uh, anybody run the Peachtree before, like ever before? And the rest of you never run it, never want to run it. Don't, don't have any desire to run it. Think people who run it are crazy. Since it was the 50th, they, they did a lot of promotion this year, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning uh, of the, the week of the 4th. did a lot of promotion. I'm listening to the radio. I think it was Wednesday, July 3rd. And um, they're interviewing Bill Thorne. Anybody hear this? Bill Thorne is 88 years old. He is the only human on the planet who has run all 50 Peachtree Road races. 88 years old. Like, I want to be Bill Thorne when, when I grow up. Uh, just full of energy, just charismatic guy. Just You love him, just listening to him. And uh, so toward the end of the interview, the, the radio announcer says, Well, Bill, how many more do you want to run? How long do you want to do this? Bill Thorne's 88 years old. This is his response. I want to kick it down as long as I can kick it down. <laughs> I want to be Bill Thorne. I want to kick it down as long as I can kick it down. You know what, spiritually? Bill Thorne ought to speak for all of us. When we look at our life, we look at our future... We look at what God's done for us and in us, the calling that He's placed on our life, the kingdom of heaven that needs to come more fully to earth in the way that Jesus prayed that it would. We ought to say, when it comes to the kingdom of God and my spiritual, I want to kick it down as long as I can kick it down. I don't want to ever hit cruise control in my spiritual life. I don't ever want to coast through my spiritual life. I don't ever want get, to get content with where I am in my spiritual life because God is not finished, Jesus said. I want to kick it down. Just as long as I can kick it down. It's not something I can decide for you. I can only decide for me. And, and, and let's be honest. Everything in life is a little bit cyclical, seasonal. Pretty much everything in life, there are exciting times. Like there are fun, energetic, full, easy times. It's just, it's just happening. I'm not having to put a lot of effort into it. And then there are times when inertia starts to grab at us and it slows down and it's harder. Everything is that way. Your career is that way. Your job is that way. Like there are times you just love what you do and you can't wait to get back at it. And then, then there are seasons it's just harder than others. It's slower than others. You're not quite as 
energetic as others. Maybe you, you read a new leadership book or you go to a seminar or, or something happens, you kind of snap out of it and you, you start running again. Marriage is that way. Am I right, married people? Like sometimes it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh, sometimes it's great and easy and energetic and creative and fresh and new. And then you got to get the kids to ball practice and they're in the ballet and they got the program at school. And two years go by and you go, man, we haven't invested a lot in us. We've just kind of been cruising. Life tends to be a little bit seasonal, a little bit cyclical. Spiritual life can be too, let's be honest. There are times we're just in love with Jesus and fired up, and we cannot wait to worship Him. We cannot wait to read His Word, and we're learning new stuff all the time. And then there are times it gets sluggish, it gets hard. And that's where we need Bill Thorne to whisper in our ear, right? Hey, you need to kick it down as long as you can kick it down. You got to snap out of it. You got to wake up. I don't know if I don't know if you need to read a book or or you need to recommit to being God's word. Maybe you need some more time in prayer. Maybe you need an accountability partner to say, "Hey, I'm I'm getting sluggish in my spiritual life. Would you pray for me? Would you have maybe you need to get in a community group where there's a group of people who are cheering for you and encouraging you and 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 helping you. But don't hit cruise control." Don't get complacent. Don't just go through the motions. This has been a, a little bit of an interesting year for our church. And those of you who have been here for most of our history, you, you'll understand what I'm saying. Through, through the first probably three, three and a half years, there was like something that we were like fully on the verge of and planning for and saving money for, and working on, and, and it was launching in that first year, like we had the, the big start, and then it wasn't long before we realized we got to find somewhere else, and so we're having those discussions, we're, we're giving towards that, we're putting plans together, and, and then we start renovating this place, God, God shows us this place, and we start renovating this place, and almost two years ago, we moved in here, and then last year, we finished renovating the back, and then at the end of the year, we made the move to put a down payment on this place and start buying. So there's been sort of this extra thing always going on at Journey until this year, and there's not some big renovation thing we're doing this year, and there's, there's not some big move we're, we're getting ready to do. What's been great about this year is it's been a good time to be reminded, this is what we do. This is what's our priority. And yeah, there are times you renovate and build, and you, there are all those decisions that have to be made, and there's nothing wrong with those decisions. That's not what we're here for. This is why we're here, that we would lift up the name of Jesus, that that our hearts would be set on fire for the kingdom of God. That we would be reminded to share our faith with our neighbors. Invite our friends so that Christ could touch them. That their life could be changed forever. This is what we do. And this is what we're going to continue doing. That Jesus would be glorified. Not because we built something or renovated something or bought something. Jesus will be glorified because He's the passion of our lives. And we've never gotten over that.
We've never taken our foot off the gas. And we've never stopped pursuing Him as He's pursuing us. We just keep kicking it down as long as we can kick it down. I want to invite you to to pray with me. As a church, as individuals, as a church, we wouldn't shift into neutral at some point. That we wouldn't just start cruising. We wouldn't get complacent and content. But we'd want to know what Jesus meant when he said, God is not finished with you yet. I want to find out what that is. What is the not finished for us that we haven't seen yet? I want to know that. I want to see it. I want to live in it. Band's going to come out in just a minute. And they're going to lead us in a great song of worship. And we don't do this uh, every Sunday, but I want to invite any of you who, who will, who feel God is in it for you, that, that you would join me at the front and pray. We just pray, God, keep the fire burning in us. God, keep us from spiritual sleepwalking. Ignite the powerful energy, transformational power of the Holy Spirit in us fresh. And then you can kneel or you can stand or you can sit on the front row if kneeling is uncomfortable for you. And yes, God hears you right where you are. He doesn't hear you any more here than he does there. I just think there are some times it's good for us to kind of come together as God's people and lift up our prayers shoulder to shoulder and next to each other. So if that's you, if you're comfortable with that, I'm going to pray. And then when the band starts, I'm going to kneel right here. And I would invite anybody who wants to join me just to come and let's ask God. God, help us kick it down. Help help us kick it down as long as we can kick it down and never be sad. We want to know the unfinished that's still out there for our church. God, we praise you. God, we thank you. Thank you that sometimes you speak confrontationally to us, harshly even to say, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Thank you that thousands of years ago you said that to a church so we could examine our own hearts, examine our own lives, examine our own church. God, we, we, don't, we don't want to think we're alive when we're dead. We want to fire burning passionately for the things of God and the people who don't yet know God who need to come into the kingdom. And so may Journey Church never settle for complacency. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.